Good evening, all. It's good to be with you tonight again. We're turning in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. If you were with us last night, we started our series, uh, Spiritual Warfare, which essentially is looking at the armor of God outlined for us in this passage in Ephesians chapter 6. And last night we looked at the fact that there is a war on and just being alert to that, which it's quite possible that we're we're not conscious of. It seems staggering to believe that that would be possible to be a Christian in the 21st century and not realize that there is a spiritual struggle on. But I I believe there are some who are in some kind of uh, ironic, blissful existence where they're not striving against the enemy rather than overcoming their being overcome and not realizing the perilous position that they're in. But let's pray before we delve into the study again tonight. Um, let's pray. And as I said last evening, I'm going to invite you each night to pray that the Lord will speak to you. So would you do that with me? Would you just come and personally now before the Lord uh, pray that he might speak to you? Would you do that? Let's come and ask the Lord's help, his Holy Spirit's presence. He's the one we need tonight, not a preacher, not a convention. We need the Lord. But let's come and seek his face. And you please ask him tonight, will you, to speak to you personally. Lord, we thank you and we bless you for these wonderful songs that we've been singing already about the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we praise you for the glorious gospel. We thank you that our Lord Jesus has died for our sins. He has been buried. And he has taken our sins and buried them in his death. And we thank you that he has risen in the power of an endless life, and never to die again. And we now who believe in him shall never die. And we want to say tonight from the depths of our heart, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord for so great salvation, for the cross and the resurrection. And we thank you for the blessed Holy Spirit who has come. And we pray that we will know his power tonight upon us. We pray that you will speak, Lord, to our human spirits through your word and that the Holy Spirit would be instrumental in our lives doing deep surgery in our hearts. Lord, we need you tonight. We want you to deliver us from going through ritual, a dead order of service. Lord, we want the power of God to rest upon us tonight. We want the mighty paraclete to come and descend upon us and minister to us. Come, we pray, and change hearts tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask it. Amen. We're going to read this passage again. As I said, I'm hoping by the end of the week that it will have gotten into your memory. Verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, 
with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. There is a war on. Corrie ten Boone was an old saint of God who was imprisoned in a concentration camp during World War II by the Nazis. Of course, if you've read her book, No Hiding Place, or for that matter, seen the film, um, you'll see the wonderful story of how she survived, great challenge that it was, but her sister Betsy didn't survive, and how Kai Ten Boon had to walk through that whole issue of Christian forgiveness. But she made up many wonderful statements, it has to be said, about spiritual life. One in regard to this battle that we're in, and she says, the first step to victory is to recognize we are in a war. And we saw that last night. How imperative it is to realize that there is a cosmic struggle, a spiritual warfare taking place in unseen realms. And if you're just operating on the naked eye and the materialistic worldview that most people have in the West, and of course it's, it's drummed into us from we're children. But if you get into the Spirit and you understand and the, the eyes of your understanding are opened and you're enlightened by the truth of God and His Word and by the Holy Spirit's instruction, you would realize immediately that there's a spiritual battle going on. And if you're in any shape or form seeking to live for Jesus in our day and generation, you will collide with every force in the spiritual world apart from God's kingdom. And boy, you'll feel the weight of that. But you know, the good news is, and we must always remind ourselves of this fact, that the Bible tells us that in the Lord Jesus, we are more than conquerors. Are you allowed to say amen or hallelujah or anything like that about here? Is that, is that, it's not embargoed or anything like that? No. We are more than conquerors. Amen. amen. Yes. In the Lord Jesus Christ, it tells us in the glorious gospel that through his death, through his burial, and his resurrection, not only has the penalty of sin been paid, and that tends to be the area that we emphasize as evangelicals, but there's much more to the cross of Jesus than just the absolving of our transgressions. And particularly pertinent to the issue of spiritual warfare, we need to know that Satan was defeated at the cross, period. Let me share a couple of scriptures with you so that we start at the right vantage point tonight before we look at the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Colossians 2, verse 15. You can turn to it if you wish. Colossians 2, verse 15. And this has to be one of my favorite verses regarding the defeat of Satan at the cross. Paul says, Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he, that is Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, that is, in his cross. Isn't that magnificent? That though the Lord Jesus appeared to be utterly defeated, as he hanged there, dying on the cross, we know that though apparently overcome, he is overcoming not only our sin, but he's overcoming death, the grave, but hell itself and the devil. And it's if in the spirit realm, when he gives up the ghost and he cries, it is finished, that he came down 
and he incarcerated the enemy. He told him that his war was over. Another couple of verses that outline this. Uh, you don't need to turn to these. First John 3, 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the work of the devil. A similar verse is Hebrews 2, 14. Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus, likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Now, both of those verses that I've quoted say that Jesus came to destroy the devil. The word in the Greek language for destroy is a word that could be translated loose. He came to loose us from the devil, or dissolve is another rendering of it. He came to dissolve the influence or the grip. Another translation is sever or demolish. In fact, it's the Greek word luo, and the root meaning means to come unstuck. You know, if some of your ladies were to, were to uh, pull a seam of a garment apart, the thread out. That is what this word means. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he came in incarnate flesh and walked among men and went to the cross, bled and died and rose again, he was unsticking, demolishing the kingdom of darkness. He was pulling it apart. And effectively, he was loosing us from the rule and the reign of darkness. He was dissolving, demolishing Satan's kingdom. Isn't that wonderful? But you might say, and I hope that you're awake, you might say, but hold on a wee minute here. There's a great disparity between the theory and the experience, certainly in my life. I mean, you're telling me here tonight that Satan is defeated, that Jesus has overcome him, that he's demolished his kingdom at the cross. Well, then why do you have to have a series on spiritual warfare? Why are you telling us that we need these weapons to overcome? And why am I a person that is struggling with sin, temptation, and darkness in my life? Surely that, that ought not to be. There's a shortfall between what you're telling me is the knowledge that I need to imbibe as truth and what is actually my everyday experience. Well, you're right in asking that question. One of the reasons why there is this shortfall is bad teaching. And that bad teaching is we can get the impression that because Jesus has done all this for us in his work, in his redemption, that we're home in a boat. That it just accrues to us automatically. And this is where this idea comes that if you just get saved and uh, you go to church and maybe even, as I said last night, you become a really super Christian and get filled with the Holy Spirit, although that's for everybody, by the way. But this concept that that's all that you need, the devil cannot touch you. You're a child of God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And once there's truth in those statements to a certain extent, it is false to believe that you, by default, come into the good of everything that Jesus Christ has done at the cross. Maybe I'm confusing you tonight, but I will explain myself. You see, the provision of Calvary has to be appropriated by faith. Let me explain it like this. You would not dream, I hope, as an evangelical born-again believer, telling a person who's not converted, listen, Jesus died for you, you're all right. You're all right. You died tonight, 
You go to heaven straight away because Jesus died for you. You wouldn't dream of saying that. You would say, no, God in his grace loved the world and he provided a way, a plan, through Jesus dying and rising again. But it is by grace we are saved through faith. And you've got to come to God and receive what he offers by, by grace. You've got to take it by faith. Isn't that right? You see, God's grace, and this is true for everything in the Christian life, God's grace is his gifting us in love what we don't deserve. But our hand that receives what God has gifted in grace is faith. That's how we get anything in the Christian life. In fact, the Bible says this Christianity is from faith to faith, meaning it is a faith exercise from start to finish. The just shall live by faith. Without faith is impossible to please God. And so whatever Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection, we have got to partake of that by faith. We've got to appropriate it. And so that's why when you read through this portion of Scripture, you keep reading about each piece of armor put on, take up. Something for us to do. And this is vital. You see, obedience is intrinsic. Faith and obedience to our overcoming in the Christian life. Let me show you this. If you turn with me to Exodus chapter 12, Exodus 12, you see here the old story of the Passover and you remember that the Israelites were in Egyptian bondage, a bit like us. It is a picture, it's a type, we call it, of how we are in our sin with a slave master like Pharaoh, and we're, we're uh, besetted and controlled and enslaved by the flesh, the world, and the devil. And of course, it's a great picture to see these Israelites, God's people who should have known blessings better than this, either incarcerated, and then we see God has a plan for them. And what was God's plan? God's plan was he was going to deliver them. He was going to save them. That's just what the word salvation means, deliverance. And the method whereby he was going to do this was through the blood of the lamb. And each house was to take a, a lamb without blemish and without spot. And on the Passover evening, they were to slay it. They were to pour the blood of that lamb into a basin and they were to take a plant called hyssop, just a branch of a herb, and they were to use it like a paintbrush, and they were to dip it into the basin of blood, and they were to paint the blood on the doorpost and the lintel of the house. Look at verse 22 of Exodus 12. You shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. And verse 23 talks about the Lord passing through. You know, the death angel would go through and kill the firstborn of all the Egyptians and of any household that was not under the blood of the Lamb. And the Bible says that the Lord would hover over the door of those who had the blood over the house to protect them from the death angel. It was actually the Lord would hover over them. It wasn't just blood there. The blood would be the sign that the Lord would come and cover the door. Mighty story. Here's a question for you. A family puts the blood over the door and the, 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 the lintel and the doorpost of the house. But there's a man in the home and he says to himself, well, I'm the elect of God. I am an Israelite born and bred. The promised race. And I have done what God's asked me to do. 
So I'm just going to go out and have a wee look around, see what God is doing, this miraculous supernatural thing that's going to happen tonight. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? That man or woman, whoever a child, goes out from under the blood, they will be struck dead. This is an important truth. And I'm not in any way diluting or taking away from the wonderful work of redemption and salvation that we enjoy by grace, a free gift of grace. But there is obedience that is necessary in order to know the protection, the safety of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something for you to do. You've got to appropriate it. You've got to take it. Now, when we are born again, we do that by repentance and faith, of course, through the influence of the Holy Spirit. But there's something for us to do. No one was ever saved against their will. Whatever your theology is, that has never happened. Equally so throughout the Christian life, you cannot and you must not presume upon the protection of the blood of Jesus Christ if you are engaging in willful disobedience. Now, are you with me tonight? A condition of the protection of the blood of Jesus is obedience. Doing what God says. Taking God at His word, but obeying Him. That puts you on the right side of the blood. But the blood will not protect you in disobedience. I think this is what 1 John 1 teaches. If you turn with me to it, 1 John 1. 1 John 1, and I know there's theological questions here, and I'm not wanting to delve into those tonight, but we want Scripture. We need to allow it to say what it says. Verse 7, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this is saying, if we choose to walk in the light of God, just like a shaft of light, I'm sure some Sunday mornings, when it comes in through the window here in the church, you can see all the particles of dust floating everywhere. God's light, when we choose to walk in the shaft of his light of truth, it will show up all sorts of dirt and sin. And if we're so ignorant to say, oh, I don't have any sin, we're never going to go anywhere with God. What we need to do is then put our hands up and say, guilty is charged, and I choose to own my sin and confess it to you, agree with you about it, Lord, and then he will go on, and it is the, the verb is in the continuous, present continuous tense, if we keep going on in that road of light, confessing our sins, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, will go on cleansing us from all sin. But what if we decide, no, I'm not going to walk in the light, I'm going to walk in darkness. And I'm not going to confess my sin, I'm going to live in it. This passage says we deceive ourselves. And there's a condition there. Look at the word if. If we confess our sin, if we walk in the light, then the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, goes on cleansing. Am I saying you're not saved then if you start sinning? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there's a condition of knowing the benefits and the blessings of the shed blood of the Lamb. And that condition is faith and obedience. Are you with me? And you cannot and you must not presume. This is what I'm getting at. 
There is an arrogant audacity in many evangelical Christians who have been taught that you're elect of God and you're born again and you, the devil cannot touch you and all, all these truths in part that we think we can just dabble in sin and go through doorways of darkness that God has forbidden without any consequence. And it's absolute nonsense. And I deal with people on a weekly basis who have presumed such, which is effectively testing the Lord, tempting the Lord. Or oh, the devil can't touch me. I've talked to people who have gone to Christians now, who have gone to seances, and all types of weird and wonderful places, thinking, I'm under the blood. And they don't realize that they've gone from out under the blood. Something for you to do. Well, let's look tonight at the first thing uh, we're told to do according to Paul regarding this armor. Look at verse 13. Put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, verse 14, this first piece of armor, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Girded your waist with truth. Now, what is this? Well, Paul, we believe, had in mind the, the, the garb of the Roman soldier, probably. And the Roman soldier, when he was dressed for any particular uh, ceremony in his uh, ceremonial dressed uniform would, would wear a robe, a long, probably scarlet or purple robe, cloak. But that was no good for battle because if you went into battle with a cloak, in all likelihood you'd trip yourself up. And so there was a, a procedure, if you like, if he was called upon when he was in a ceremonial garment, he would take that robe and he would gather it up and he would tuck it into his belt, lest he trip or it would get in the way of him fighting. Uh, it's a bit like a soccer player pulling his socks up or tying his boots. It was preparatory for battle. It was necessary. And so you've got this belt, and it was a sign that the soldier was getting ready to fight. That's what Paul's exhorting us to do. You need to get ready to fight. You need to put on this belt, this girdle of truth. It seems a bit strange that Paul would start off with such a seemingly insignificant piece of armor, a small Peace. We might think he'd start with a sword or a shield or something. But you see, when we study the Roman soldier's armor, we see that the belt actually held everything in the place. Not only was the sheath of the sword on it, not only was the rope tucked into it, but it seems from our understanding that it secured the breastplate and many other pieces of the armor. And of course, what Paul says here, this, this belt represents, is the truth of God. And it is the truth of God that holds everything together in our lives as Christians. Now, you remember I said to you last evening from Luke chapter 11 that Satan has got an armor. That word panoply is used of Satan's armory in Luke chapter 11. And his armor is just the antithesis of everything that we find concerning the armor of God here in Ephesians chapter 6. So if this is a belt of truth, what is Satan's weapon? Lies. Deception. Now, let me ask you right away. Are you believing Satan's lies? And you know something? I believe in spiritual warfare. I believe in demo demonic oppression and possession. I believe uh, in the need for deliverance ministry for the church of Jesus Christ today. I believe in all these things. But I want to tell you tonight that the battle, the spiritual battle, is not a battle for power. It's a battle for truth. 
It's a battle about what we believe and essentially about what we let into our head. So I want to challenge you tonight. What have you believed? And you know, and we look at this more probably when we look at the helmet of, of salvation, but essentially the battle that the enemy fights for us and against us is a battle for the mind, a battle for truth. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. Are you listening to the truth? In your head, I don't mean in church on a Sunday. I mean in your head, are you listening to the truth? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and I would urge you to, if you have a problem in your mind, particularly with anxiety and deception, worry, fear, that you study Ephesians chapter 4, even, or sorry, Philippians chapter 4, even memorize it. He tells us, verse 6, not to worry about anything, but to pray about everything and be thankful for, for anything. And the peace of God, verse 7, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. But look at this verse, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, listen to what I'm saying tonight because this is vital. And you can talk about demons and principalities and powers and all these realities in the spiritual realm till the cows come home. But if we do not address the fact that many of us as believers are overcoming our spiritual walk because we are feeding on the wrong things through some kind of mental osmosis, we're soaking in from this world system around us particularly from the media, that we are so passive to. We just let our minds be washed and bathed and baptized by all sorts of popular culture, and then we expect just to get up and be able to face the devil and temptation and all the spiritual struggles that are around us. It ain't going to happen. You're not living in the real world. And Scripture actually tells us you've got to think about the right things. Think about truth. Think about things that are praiseworthy and honorable and pure. So what do you let into your mind? Or to put it another way, let me ask you, are you controlled by irrational thoughts, unreasonable thoughts? Do you have a real struggle in your mind? And is it because you are being deceived? Now, there's a problem if we do not discipline our minds. That, that is going to, if we have this passivity concerning our environment around us and what we drink in, we're going to have spiritual issues and problems and we're going to give a foothold to the enemy. But let me take this a little bit further and more personally intimate. What lies have you believed about yourself? Honestly, answer that. Maybe it's a parent a demanding perfectionist father or mother, a controlling, manipulative mother, who said certain things to you, very hurtful things when you were a child. Oh, you're, you're no use at that. Jack that in. Or you need to try better. And if you got 9 out of 10, it was always the question, what, what, what was wrong with, with the, the final one there? Why did you get it wrong? Why did you not get full marks? And even when you did get full marks, that didn't satisfy. Oh, you make sure you do that again now. You have to get that every time. Or maybe you were told you're a fat or you were ugly. Eh? Maybe it wasn't a parent. Maybe it was a teacher. Thank God for teachers and godly teachers. But let's not be naive to the power that the word of a teacher has. You know, I know of people 
who in church will not sing during the hymn singing. You know why? Because they believe they can't sing. Because a teacher told them, you're tone deaf, shut your mouth. Eh? As if that couldn't happen. It has happened. And so they've believed, and some of them can sing. They can sing, but they've believed a lie because someone spoke it to them. Or perhaps you have been speaking lies to yourself. You've been agreeing with some of these other voices. You're always going to get voices coming from outside telling you this, that, and the other. But maybe you've entered into covenant with that voice, and you've agreed, and you've made self-pronouncements, and you've said, I am no good. I am useless. I can't do what they do, and I'll never measure up to anything, and blah, 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 blah. You understand? And what you're doing is you're lying. Because God's Word says you're made in the image of God, and if you're a child of God, you're chosen in Jesus Christ, and you're not worthless. Here's why I know you're not worthless. I, I had an old businessman as an elder. It's funny how that always sometimes comes together. But this old businessman had a saying, and he says, a thing's only worth as much as anybody's willing to pay for it. And he was right. A thing's only worth what anybody's willing to pay for. Would I tell you, God the Father was willing to pay the precious blood of Jesus for you. And I know you're a depraved sinner, and I know you don't deserve it, and I know we all are bound for hell without God's grace, but don't you ever say you're worthless. Jesus paid his own shed blood for you, so don't believe the lies of the devil. You're no good. You'll never measure up to anything. Because remember what I said last night as we looked at this overview of Ephesians. What we believe affects the way we behave. That's why he spent three, four, five chapters talking about what we believe and how it outflows in our walk before we can even war against the enemy. And it's time for you tonight. Some of you need to hear this message. It's time for you to stop believing the lies of the devil because you're entering into a contract of faith with the enemy. Effectively, you're believing a lie rather than believing the truth. And it's time to stop it. Second Corinthians 10 talks about what, what I call threshold thinking. And it's simply this, that the devil's going to come, and he comes to me on a regular basis with thoughts about me and about other people. Even thoughts that I would never, I hope would never, and I know how depraved my heart is, but there's some things coming to my head that I would never want to think about. Just like that. And I know where they're coming from. But I have to practice threshold thinking. And, and what Second Corinthians 10 says, we are to effectively arrest our thoughts. Anything taking it captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Anything that goes against the will of God and the truth of God, we are to arrest. Pull it by the scrub of the neck and say, now are you a truth or are you a lie? And if you're a lie, away you go. Is that what we do? But you see, some of us have believed another lie. You know what that is? You can't control what you think. Who's believed that lie? You can't control. That is a lie. Now, you can get yourself into such a state that it becomes almost impossible to control your thoughts, but that's after a long time, and it can be drawn back. But ultimately, every day of our lives, I think of it like this. There's two postmen come to my mind, and one has a parcel from the devil, and one has a parcel from God's truth in heaven. And it's up to me which parcel I take and which one I open, which one I ruminate and dissect and analyze every moment of every day till it saps every spiritual strength from me. And I have a choice, ultimately. 
of which I open and which I believe and which I live in the good in. Now that means whether or not you've got the belt of truth on or not. You've got to listen to the truth, but you've also got to speak the truth. Putting this belt on is not just about what we hear, it's about what comes out of our mouths. And in Ephesians 4, actually, if you look back, chapter 4 and verse 25, this is not so easy. That was a nice wee one, the last one. This isn't so palatable. Therefore, Ephesians 4, 25, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And this is not just blatant lies, by the way. This covers exaggeration. It covers half-truths, what's become known as white lies, whatever that is. A lie is a lie in Scripture. It covers slander. It covers rumor. It even covers the prayer meeting. When you make a request and you're just wanting to let people know how much you know that maybe you shouldn't know. Can I say, when we don't speak the truth as believers, we give occasion to the devil. We give a foothold to the enemy. He is the accuser. That's, that's what devil means, Satan means. He's the accuser. And if we give him grounds by not being truthful, he, he will bring accusation not only against us, but against the church of Jesus Christ. We're meant to be transparent and truthful. And as Sir Walter Scott said, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Verse 29 of chapter 4 says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hear hearers. We're not to let unwholesome words come out of our mouth, but edifying words. Can I tell you, I believe evangelical Christians don't really appreciate the power that there is in words. Now, I'm not falling into the word, word faith movement or, or some aberrational understanding you just name and claim or speak a word and it will happen. I don't mean that. But it does say that in the beginning God spoke and said let there be light and there was light. Now that was God speaking but it shows and teaches us that there's power in words. And in John 1 Jesus is called the Logos the word of God. And the book of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 18 21 that death and life are in the power of the tongue. The book of James says that out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Now I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here tonight, but it's relevant to truth. And I'll tell you this, and you might think this is some mumbo-jumbo, but I believe it's true that there are words that have been spoken in churches right across our land, and I'm sure across Cookstown. Words that have been words of cursing against one another and I've got to tell you tonight, I believe that those words don't just disappear after they're said. I believe they hang in the air. I believe they hang in the spiritual realm until they're cancelled out. I'm sure there's one or two church meetings, business meetings you've been at, and you, you, that, that sends a shudder up your spine, that thought. But it's true. See, we've got this evangelical jargon and gobbledygook that we can, we can just do what we like and say what we like and we're all forgiven anyway and we can just get away with anything. You need, yes, thank God we're justified by faith and we have peace with God, but don't underestimate the power there is in spoken words. And there's things that need to be repented of. There's things that need to be put right that were said and done in church life. And you can talk about revival and pray about it all you like. 
But these things have got to be dealt with. Do you remember Peter? Do you remember he denied the Lord Jesus with oaths and curses? Do you remember the scene that we slip of a, a lass and he denied Jesus in front of this wee girl. You know, big butch Peter, you know, he's going to die for Jesus. He walks on water and this wee girl says, aren't you one of them? And he denies the Lord and, and curses. Three times he denied the Lord, isn't that right? And you remember what happens, you know, the Lord rises again and Peter realizes he's alive. He's been party to the resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you remember one day he's gone back to his fishing. He's jacked it in. He's given up. He probably can't get over his own failure. And he's gone a-fishing. And you remember Jesus prepares breakfast at the shore for the disciples. What a wonderful picture. But I want you to see this. I want you to understand this. He calls them to the, sh the shore and he begins to feed them. But I want you to see, we might call it juxtaposition, the parallel that there is now between this moment on a beach but over an open fire, the smell of the sulfur, the smoke, the crack of the flame. And here again, Peter is face to face eyeballing Jesus Christ through the smoke exactly the way it was that night he betrayed him three times. And what does Jesus ask him to do? What does he ask him? Peter, do you love me? How many times did he ask him that? How many times? Three times. Why? I think Peter was getting a bit fed up. Lord, you know that I love you. But what was Jesus doing? He was inviting him to undo what he had spoken with his mouth. Confession is with the mouth. I believe in, even in church context, sometimes we have underestimated the, the power that there is in verbal confession. The truth is so important. And can I challenge you tonight, those of you who are married, be truthful in your marriages. 1 Peter 3 and verse 7 says, Husbands, likewise dwell with them, with your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So if you're not truthful about your finances, you're not truthful about your feelings and your hurts, if you're hiding, if there's deception, if there's unnecessary independence rather than interdependence, you're going to be hindered in your walk with the Lord. Why? Because of a lack of transparency and truthfulness. But I need to say this, and we've got to get on to the breastplate quickly. Truth is a person. There's so much, and you would know this coming together in a convention, there's so many different views on things. I know we've got the fundamentals, and praise God for that. But we can debate over many other things in Scripture, can't we? And you know, we need to realize that our interpretation is not infallible. We believe in the Bible as infallible. Amen? But your interpretation, and mine for that matter, is not infallible. And that's the problem we often fall into. The infallibility of our interpretation. But you know something? I know men, and they can smell false doctrine a mile off, and they're not theologians, and they've never been to university or Bible college. Mightn't do you much good these days going some of those places, but um, they can sniff heresy a mile off. You know why? Because they're intimate with the one who is the truth. 
They know Jesus. They know what Jesus would say and what Jesus would do. You with me? This Christianity is not abstract. It's not just theology or theoretical. It's a relationship with a person who is the truth. So when you're putting this belt on, you're putting on Jesus Christ. That's what the apostle said. Put off the works of the flesh and put on the Lord Christ. But quickly, what else have you to put on? Verse 14, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now what's the breastplate? Well, you all know what that is. It covers the vital organs. And I think what's being spoken of here is the seat of the affections, which is the heart. The breastplate of God's righteousness covers our heart. And after all, Proverbs tells us that out of the heart proceed all the issues of life. So keep your heart with diligence, Solomon said. So this is really our emotional life. We covered a little bit about how untruth gets into our head, but what about our heart? There are times, I believe, that Satan can actually attack our emotions, even in an unrational way. You ever had a panic attack? completely irrational. And you're sitting there, and I have talked to people, and they know that what they are describing, the fear that they're having, is, is totally nonsensical. And yet they are turned upside down like a washing machine inside, emotionally. And the enemy has made a direct attack, bypassing the mind straight to the emotions. But this is a breastplate of righteousness. Now that's a big word that we don't often use in everyday language. It's a very biblical word, but we need to explain it. A good translation of it would be rightness. This is the rightness of Jesus Christ. This is what makes us right before God, or right-relatedness. And it's not from ourselves. Again, it's by grace, through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We have partaken of it by faith, and we've been made right with God. So this is our right-relatedness to God, not in our rightness, but in Christ's rightness. I hope there's nobody here tonight relying on their own righteousness. The Bible is very clear in Isaiah 64, 6 that even our good works, our righteousnesses are like filthy rags in the sight of God. And what good's a, a breastplate of filthy rags? It's not going to protect you against anything. But this is our righteousness from God through being rightly related by grace through faith in Him. It all comes from the exchange of the cross where the Lord Jesus, as he died there, had my sin imputed to him. He was made sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God. So my sin gets put on him, and God's righteousness in Jesus is imparted to me. Isn't it wonderful? That's what I'm covered with tonight. That's what makes me close to God. God is my Father the Spirit of God lives within me. The Spirit of adoption rises up within my heart, crying, Abba, Father, because I've been born of God. Right relatedness. And yet I talk to some Christians, and they feel alienated from God. They hear a preacher talk about such intimacy and personal walk with God, and they don't identify with it, or they see it in church history, and they, they long for it. But they just feel rejected by God. They never feel accepted or, or belonging to God. It, it feels like an impossible thing to have such a relationship. Listen to what I'm saying tonight. Whatever you felt before in your emotions, you need to understand that through the Lord Jesus we are rightly related to God and we partake of it by faith, not by our feelings. And when we actually engage 
with God by faith and say, Lord, I'm going to believe that I am covered by the righteousness of Jesus, that you don't see my sin anymore, that whatever the devil brings up to me of the things that I have done and my own failures, which I know all so well, I am going to take the covering of the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that the accuser will have nothing that will stick to me. Is that what you do? Because the enemy will come and he'll fire all sorts of dirt at you and some of it will stick because you're guilty. And what you do is you respond emotionally to that and you listen and you say, oh, that's right, I am a failure. And, oh, I did do that. And oh, what kind of a Christian am I? And oh, I really let the Lord down there. Oh, dear, dear, dear. The Lord's... And what does it do? It ostracizes you from God. And like Adam and Eve in the, the garden in the beginning, you start to hide from God in shame and guilt when God wants you to come to him. God wants you to confess it. He wants to even bring our sin into relationship with him. Not to keep it, but to get rid of it. But when we hide in shame and guilt, what happens? The devil gets a victory. But you know something? Some of us need to seek healing in order to know the covering of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Some of us are unable to allow our Heavenly Father to protect us with the righteousness of Jesus. And I don't want to go into this too far because it would take too long, but some of us have had parents who didn't protect us the way they ought to some of us were deprived as children from mom and dad's protection. And by the way, our fathers and mothers were meant to point us to the parentage of God, especially our fathers. And so when we have a, a distant or elusive, uh, pa passive father, passive-aggressive maybe father, or an absentee father, a father who walked out, and maybe we don't even know who your father is. Or maybe he was there, but we just couldn't connect with him. That can affect our relationship with God. We might have a perfectionist father or mother, so we're always striving in some legalistic way to achieve some standard. And you know what perfectionists do? They either keep striving until they get perfect, which you never will, so you're always disappointed, or the bum or the dropout, he's a perfectionist as well. If I can't do it perfectly, I just drop out and don't do it at all. And some of us are spiritually like that, aren't we? We feel time and time again. We've struggled. We've been in this battle. We've been so overcome so many times that we think it's not worth it. I'm throwing in the towel. When we've got to understand, listen, hear this revelation from heaven. It's not about you. He is the hero of this story. He is our salvation. And He gives it to you by grace. You must take it. And when you fail, confess it. But don't let the enemy do this number on you. Send him to the righteousness of Jesus. Put on, and you need to do this. Is this what you did the last time you fell into that sin? After confessing your sin, did you put on the breastplate of righteousness and did you say to the enemy, look, it's not about me. It's about the righteousness of Jesus. And I'm putting that on again by faith. You can't get through that, Satan. And Satan tempts me to despair. And tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Eh? Do you know as I close, do you know the difference between condemnation and the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Do you know the difference? Let me explain it. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is when we break God's law and we sin. The Holy Spirit, He convicts us. He gives us godly sorrow that leads to repentance. 
And then, as 1 John 1 says, when we confess our sins, what? God is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But here's the problem. Some of us have confessed our sins and repented of them, but we're still feeling guilty for them. We're still condemned for them. And for some of us, the problem is we can't get through to the forgiveness of God because we won't forgive ourselves. Now, I know we can't forgive ourselves. Only God forgives us. But you know what I'm trying to say? We can't let ourselves go from our own false justice. Right? And if that's the way we are, and I've sat with people and they've said to me, I had an abortion and I can't, it was before I was saved, but I can't forgive myself for what I did. Or I delved into a homosexual lifestyle and I can't forgive myself for what I did. You can put the list of sins there, whatever you like. And what they're doing is they're agreeing with the enemy. They've confessed, they've repented, and they need to enter into the wonderful glory of what it is to be forgiven. And listen, here's the difference between condemnation and conviction. When you truly confess, the conviction goes. So if you're still feeling miserable, it ain't coming from God. It's coming from the devil. For there is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I'm not saying if you're still dabbling in sin, you shouldn't feel miserable. You will feel miserable. I'm talking about if you've truly repented, and I know we're struggling, and there might be issues of woundedness, there might be issues of deliverance that people do need before God. But listen, you will get nowhere in this Christian life if you don't put on truth, walk in truth, and put on the breastplate of the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5 calls it a breastplate of faith and love. It's a breastplate of faith because we take it by faith. It's a breastplate of love because it's the wonderful love of God in Jesus Christ that gives it to us that we might be saved from the fiery darts of the devil. Well, have you the belt on? The breastplate, are you wearing it over your heart and your emotions? Or are you prey to the enemy? Yonder's condemnation tonight. You'll never get victory if you're listening to him. If you're under guilt and shame. Let's come to God. Let's pray together. Now just while we're closing the meeting, it's nearly over, we're going to sing a hymn in a moment, but God is speaking, I believe, tonight. And you know, I could come in and I've done it before, and maybe it hasn't been a good idea, and you just preach that sin, 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 and sin needs to be named and uncovered. But you know, people need to know how to get rid of it. It's all right talking about you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do that, and blah, 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 blah. But people, some of them are so gripped by the enemy, they, they want out, but they don't know how to get out. And yes, we do need to be convicted, and we do need to repent, and we do need to confess, but we need to know how to get free. And salvation is about being free not from hell, although that's in the package. It's about being free from sin. That's what salvation is. Being saved from sin. Delivered from sin. Is there anyone here tonight and God has spoken to you this evening? Some 
acknowledged that last night. And let me just say the prayer team will be available in the meeting tonight. If you want to come for help, I'll be available. Though obviously one person can't see too many, but you don't need people really. You need the Lord. And just where you're at, is there anyone, just like last night, tonight God has spoken to you. You might be seeing people, I don't know. And God's starting to uncover issues. You've been believing a lie. Will you renounce that lie tonight? What is the lie? What is the lie? God doesn't love you. God's not pleased with you. You're not good enough. You'll never measure up. What is the lie that you've believed? Would you renounce that? Would you renounce your agreement with it? Would you confess it? What is it? Do you need to forgive a father or a mother who has, they didn't mean it maybe, blocked you getting through to God because you weren't covered? You weren't covered. And so you've become emotionally stunted or emotionally broken. Are there sins that you need to confess? Are there wounds that you need to ask the Lord to heal? Have you been striving? To try and earn a righteousness with God. And whenever you've fallen into that sin, you decided, oh, I've got to do better. And you make a whole bundle of rules and boundaries. And we need boundaries. Don't misunderstand me. But it's not rules that will get, make you holy. It's relationship. You know where you need to come, don't you? You need to come to Jesus. You need to come to the foot of the cross. You need to have dealings with him tonight. Will you do that? Just now, is there anyone who would just raise their hand while eyes are closed and heads bowed? You'd just raise a hand to say, and confession's important, to say, I need to put on truth. I need to put on the righteousness of Jesus. Maybe you've never been converted. You've never been covered in the righteousness of Jesus. Is there anyone? Just raise a hand and say, tonight, God bless you. Is there anyone else who will say, tonight, I'm going to take his covering. I'm going to stop trying to, to earn it myself. Or fight the devil. I'm going to stop listening to the lies. Is there anybody? God bless. Is there anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else will respond. You prayed that God would speak to you. You just pray now. Come to the Lord and say, Lord. You confess whatever it is you need to confess. The struggles, the lies that you've believed, you've told yourself. Renounce them. Ask the Lord to break the power over them in your life. Would you do that? And please, I urge you to take it on your lips. This is not superstition. With the mouth confession is made. And the enemy needs to see that you're doing this. He can't read your mind or heart. He's not God. You need to communicate not only to God, but to him, that you're finished with these lies. Just say, I renounce the lie that I've believed. I renounce the curse that that has brought upon me. And I asked you, Lord Jesus, to release me from the power of what was said over my life. It could have been said over you even in the womb. It could have been rejection from the very womb when you weren't wanted. You renounce that and receive the acceptance and belonging from the Lord Jesus that he gives, the healing. Receive the healing. Say, Lord Jesus, would you come and heal? Would you come and save? Would you come and deliver? 
Would you cut off the enemy's power over this area of my life? Would you help me to be able to break through to that intimacy that I long for, that victory, that fullness? And from this day forth, help me to fill my mind and my heart with truth. The truth of who I am in Christ and what you have done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Do you have the joy of the Lord as your strength within you tonight? Could you almost leap with the thrill of these spiritual truths to know that you're forgiven and you're hidden with Christ in God? Is that not wonderful? Do you know it tonight? Clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ and you can come boldly to His throne of grace and get anything you need tonight. Not anything you want, but anything you need. As a Father, He'll give you. Oh, Father, we thank you tonight for the wonderful relationship that we have with you through your Son, the Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray tonight that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the consciousness and the realization of the wonder of this great salvation would descend upon us. Lord, we need to know what we have in Jesus. We need that the eyes of our understanding would be opened and would be given a revelation of the power that there is in the blood of Jesus and the power of the resurrection that brought him from the grave that is toward us. Lord, may we have a mighty baptism of your power and of your love and of your acceptance and belonging in Jesus. May there be nobody shut out tonight feeling I'm not worthy or I'm too unclean or I've burned my bridges or I'm not good enough. Lord, may they all be gathered in tonight and may we know what it is to keep ourselves in the love of God this very evening to know that we're accepted in the beloved. Oh Lord, may we put on the belt and may we put on the breastplate to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and to our good and betterment we pray. Amen.